Well, good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner once again. And, uh, man, do we have a lot of stuff on the plate today. The latest MU Law School poll comes out in, uh, oh, about 15 minutes. We'll talk about that. Just, I mean, we have a long, long list of things to get to. But this is a talk show, and we endeavor to talk about the things that people are talking about. And let's just be honest. Everybody's talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, and not just in Milwaukee, which we'll get to in just a moment. And who better to talk about as we T-minus our way to Friday and game one of the NLCS, but the play-by-play voice of the Brewers, Jeff Levering. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Hey, you got it any time. So let me ask you, you know, there's a lot of conversation. The Brewers have been hot. You want to keep playing baseball when you're hot, they're getting antsy. Does that go for the guys in the booth, too? You guys ready to light this thing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's nothing better than, than some anticipation going into the National League Championship Series. And, you know, you want to stay, you want to keep yourself fresh. And, and you know, the, you want game one to be here yesterday. But you got to wait a couple of more days, and the anticipation is going to be great heading to Miller Park on Friday. Now let me ask you about that, because there are some saying when you're hot like the Brewers have been, you just want to keep playing, and maybe the break could be counterproductive. I happen to disagree. I would have been happy to see the Dodgers and Atlanta go five games and have Brewers get that extra rest. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm all good with the rest. Um, and, and the way that the Brewers have been playing in the postseason, rest is a really good thing, especially with those relievers. Uh, the Brewers played three games against the Colorado Rockies in the span of four days, and basically use the same pitchers out of the bullpen each and every day. Uh, so getting guys like Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffers and Corey Knable, uh, their due rest is a really important thing. And I think uh, because they're going to have that rest, they'll be rip-roaring ready to go for the NLCS against the Dodgers. Talking with Jeff Levering, the sense that I get, Jeff, as I read, and the first thing I did uh, when the Brewers, I think it was the first time they beat the Rockies, the game, I, I went to the Rocky Mountain News. I love reading the media from the other market. And it's interesting, the writer said, well, what do you know, the Brewers are more than just Christian Yelich. And it almost seems, Jeff, that's the perception that a lot of people outside looking in have. The Brewers were eh, a Midland team. They got Yelich, a hot Yelich, and a hot Brewers team down the stretch. So... You know, talk about that narrative, you know, that Yelich obviously was the difference maker, but just in terms of the overall rebuild plan, not just Christian Yelich, but did they also just take a step sooner than people had expected as a whole team? Well, I think they took that step sooner, and that was 2017. I mean, they missed the postseason by one game last year, and I think that surprised a lot of, a lot of people in the media, not only just in Milwaukee, but everywhere else. Um, and I think that was a really important step for the Brewers. It, it allowed them to get hungry for this season, uh, knowing that they missed the playoffs by one game last year. And then the front office goes out and adds a guy like Christian Yelich, as you're talking about, and Lorenzo Cain, and, and the moves that David Stearns and Matt Arnold pulled off right before the, uh, the trade deadline at the end of July and even right before the beginning of September. Uh, all, re- all very important moves for the Brewers to solidify what they are right now. And, you know, sometimes you just need an adult in the room. Uh, it's kind of the kind of the outlying issue with with young teams and all that. You you need to have a couple of guys that have been there and done that. And Mike Moustakis is one of the guys that have been there and done that. Uh, Eric Kratz, as everybody's grown to love uh, over the last few months, he's been so impressive as a member of the Brewers. He's he's been around. He's done it a lot. He's not been part of major league 
uh, baseball postseasons. Uh, but he's just an important guy to have in the clubhouse. And, and sometimes even a guy like Stephen Vogt, who's not playing, hasn't, hasn't played one single inning of this year, having him in the clubhouse and having that uh, leadership is so important for a club that, that's trying to accomplish these goals for the first time in a long time. And um, they, they've just done such a nice job of, of complementing one another uh, over the course of the 2018 season. I think related to that, as we're talking with Jeff Levering, play-by-play voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, you you see this team up close. I see them on TV and, and hear them on the radio. They, you get that sense, though, in almost any sport you hear the word, you know, that they, they've just got this swagger or this confidence, not cockiness, but confidence. And I seem to get that sense from afar about this Milwaukee Brewers team. Yeah, and every time you you watch them, when they're hitting home runs, they're they're doing the gauntlet down in the dugout, and you know Jesus Aguilar is mean mugging the camera. Orlando Arce is always having a good time. It's a it's a swagger that they're playing with right now that, that's really important. And Craig Council's talked about it a lot, where it's it's not a a hindrance, and that's kind of how baseball is. For for a long time, baseball players were supposed to hide their emotions. They were supposed to hide their emotions and suppress how they really felt. And now you see teams like the Brewers um, having fun and and enjoying themselves when they hit a big home run or get a, good, a big base hit or, or pound their fist into a glove when they get a big strikeout. Um, it, you don't want to suppress that because that's really good energy and, and your teammates feed off of that. So that's something that the Brewers do extremely well. They've been doing it for the last couple of years. And Craig Council, while it might not be the same teams that he won World Series with in 1997 with the Marlins and 2001 with the Diamondbacks, it's what's working for the 2018 Brewers, and and he he realizes that he lets them be themselves. I know you've been asked already this morning about Clayton Kershaw, but what better question to ask? He's just over the last decade been one of the dominant lefties in the game. Uh, it doesn't leave the Brewers lineup a lot of margin for error, does it? No, I mean, but but every pitcher that, that's been dominant doesn't leave you a lot of margin for error. Uh, the Brewers have had good success against Clayton Kershaw in the past in the Craig Council era. I mean, his first ever win as a manager and his first ever game was against Clayton Kershaw. So he's got good history. I think the Brewers and their uh, their approach to the plate it bodes well against a guy like Kershaw. Um, it's really important to, to try and have good at-bats against a guy like that. And, and the Brewers have done that time and time again over the last few years. And you know, it might neutralize a couple of left-handed bats in the Brewers' order, but uh, at the same time, it's an opportunity for the right-hand to step up. Up and down the lineup, how do, how do you size up this matchup, team versus team? It's, if you go up and down the lineup, it, it's pretty even. Uh, you know, you can look at a couple of different positions of strength of Dodgers, you know, shortstop with Manny Machado, um, you know, and that's a, a clear advantage. Uh, first base is, is pretty much a wash. Second base is pretty much a wash when you look at the production. Uh, you might have a little edge catching-wise of the Dodgers. Brewers outfield is as good as anybody. Um, you know, for me, it just comes down to the Brewers' advantage in the bullpen. Dodgers have an advantage in the starting rotation. But, you know, it, it's going to be a great series. I would be shocked if it goes any less than six. Uh, just a, a quick wrap-up question, uh, uh, Jeff. You know, I don't know if it's, if, if it's possible for you to be aware of, of the phenomenon that this is statewide. I live in northern Wisconsin, northeast Wisconsin. You know what's great? I mean, that my part of the state, of course, live, the whole state lives, breathes. The Packers, they tend to be the dominant team. You probably can't get a sense for it, but 
brewer fever is statewide, and it's just such a great thing to see. It really is. And, um, you know, right now the Packers aren't playing as, as well as a lot of people yeah. think. So the brewers are dominating the, the market at the moment. I, I think it's a great thing that, that brewer's fever is catching on here in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, when, when the brewers played last Sunday, um, the last game of the, the regular season against the Detroit Tigers, it said a lot when, when the Packers got bumped to the sister station and the Brewers had top yeah. billing on 620. So that's a really important thing. And um, I, I think Brewers fever is here, and it's going to be here for a long time. Hey, Jeff, we look forward to listening to the call, and thanks a lot for joining us. You got it. Anytime, guys. Take care. All right. Jeff Levering, play-by-play voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, and we, of course, will be talking a lot more about the Brewers between now and Friday. 1217 News Radio WTMJ. 1219 Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, News Radio WTMJ. So it's a Wednesday in autumn, and many eyes in the political world, in Wisconsin that is, turning their attention to the Twitter feed of MU Law Poll, which I am right now, and they are handing out the boilerplate stuff. Uh, thousand registered voters by landline or cell, October third through the seventh. Uh, likely voter sample size seven ninety nine. Margin of error three point nine. Either way, of course, the partisan makeup of the sample, including those who lean to a party, forty seven percent Republican, forty four percent Democratic, and eight percent Independent. I know you're fascinated by all of the machinations of the boilerplate. Uh, of what goes into the Emmy Law School poll. Uh, we should be getting the numbers momentarily. Going to be very interesting to see the Kavanaugh effect, how much of one there is, and which way that it breaks in terms of if you see a benefit, who does it benefit? Uh, there's a CNN poll out today that would suggest that, well, it doesn't suggest, it comes right out and says that, hey, you know, this, there's huge Democratic enthusiasm off the charts. They've recaptured that, and man, it's you know they're they are on their way in November. I I, I am really conflicted, and and in different facets, we're going to spend a lot of time on this today in terms of where the political pulse of Wisconsin and the nation is right now. What CNN's polling seems to indicate is that the defeat, and this is what I predicted, whoever lost the Kavanaugh battle would come out more energized and benefit more politically. That seems to be the case. There's no doubt that it did energize the Republican base, and I'm not saying it didn't, but it's early. And the glow of victory, as I said yesterday, diminishes, dims much more quickly than the burning anger of defeat and the motivation that comes with it. So there's really no way of knowing, but it's spurring some interesting questions. When you look at that CNN poll, Scott Ross of One Wisconsin Now uh, complained on Twitter today, you know, why aren't Democrats on the ballot in Wisconsin, in his words, shoving Brett Kavanaugh down the throats of the Republican opponents? It's a good question, he asks. Here's another one. So Mike Pence, campaigning for Scott Walker in Wisconsin today, among other things, fundraisers. Behind the scenes, and I'm not talking within the Walker campaign, Walker has said that he anticipates campaigning with the president. 
But there's a raging debate among Republican strategists, again, not directly related to the Walker campaign, that just are very conflicted on that. Some think it would be a terrible mistake. Some think it's absolutely necessary. A lot of that, of course, depends on what we see today. And here's what we see today. Uh, Wisconsin Governor Walker, 47, Evers, 46. Anderson, 5%, no preference, 1%. As had been believed, there has been a shift, and it's going to be very interesting to see the uh, Senate race. But Walker, 47, Evers, 46. Last month, it was Evers, 49. Walker, 44. Uh, wow. Now, this is a shocker to me. I, I, am, I am shocked. I want to make sure this is from this poll. I said, yeah. Um, I'm going to be just a rotten person. I'm shocked by the U.S. Senate results. So I'm going to tell you what they are in two minutes. 1224 News Radio WTMJ. Well, from Nitschke to Noble, Hinkle to Holland to Hawk. Make your picks at inside and middle linebacker for the Green Bay 100 all time. 53 man roster. Text the number 100 to 414 799 1620 to find the link to vote. All right, this is just a basket of, I think, surprises in the MU Law School poll. I am not surprised that Scott Walker has clawed ahead of Tony Evers, 47-46. I have heard from sources off the record, or at least not, couldn't use it at the time, that there were numbers that showed that race had got drawn to about even. That's a, that's a tie. I mean, obviously, statistically. Senate. So, last month, in September... Baldwin had an 11-point lead, 53-42 to 42 over Leah Vukmir, Senator Tammy Baldwin over State Senator Leah Vukmir, 53-42. I expected that race to tighten dramatically. It didn't. It tightened by one point. 53-43 versus 53-42. to 42. That's fascinating. That is, I, I did not expect that. Here's where this, this gets really interesting. The Attorney General's race also has tightened. Brad Schimmel, 47. Challenger Josh Call, 43. In September, Schimmel, 48. Call, 41. I did not expect that race to tighten. I did expect the Senate race to tighten more. I mean, it didn't tighten. Going from 11 to 10 is so statistically insignificant, especially with margin of error. You can say that that race is unchanged. That's, that's what you have in the Senate race. You have, so you've got bad news, in my opinion, for Vukmir because I, I expected some upward movement. Bad news for Schimmel. I did not expect downward movement. Well, he, his numbers didn't drop, but a tightening of the race is dropped by a point. Walker, I expected to be right there, a point one way or the other. After the news, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on the Senate race. Because I think this is, this is fascinating, that there's virtually 
no movement. When you look at what has happened, and this was done, uh, what, uh, October 7th, just the past few days. So this is a fresh poll. Everything that went on, all things Kavanaugh, don't appear to have really had any impact on the Senate race here in Wisconsin. I am flabbergasted by that. And I don't, I'm really at a loss until, and we'll get more of the deep numbers as today and tomorrow. We're going to have a guest tomorrow, actually, to punch through these numbers. I, I just am trying to imagine how everything that has dominated television coverage, everything that focused entirely on the political dynamics of the U.S. Senate, that's, that is what the Kavanaugh nomination battle did. And yet, it had seemingly zero impact. And what does this mean? Because I've said the, the losing side would pen, benefit politically. That may be what you've seen happen here. We'll spend, because we're just getting these, we won't spend a lot of time, but we will spend a little time on these in just a few minutes. 12.35, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, Jeff Wagner, as we say in English. News Radio WTMJ. So this poll, the MU Law School poll, fresh out, was taken October 3rd through the 7th, does not include the debate from the other night in the Senate race. It, uh, in terms of party affiliation, those who lean, 47% Republican, 44% Democratic, 8% Independent. It shows a tightening of the race, actually, I, I retract that. It shows Governor Walker overtaking Tony Evers, 47-46, which is a statistically insignificant margin. They're, they're tied. There was a tightening of the race. Brad Schimmel still leads Josh Call in state attorney general, but that has tightened to 47-43 from 48-41, a four-point from a seven-point. The eye-popper to me is the U.S. Senate race. Last month, it was Baldwin 43, Vukmir 42. This month, it's Baldwin 43, Vukmir 43. 10 points versus 11 points. I will tell you that the Vukmir campaign was confident that this race was closing. There are internal numbers that I reported on at MediaTrackers.org last week that suggested that. And just overall, they felt things were breaking their way. Now, she definitely, in my mind, outperformed Tammy Baldwin in the debate. That's not factored in here. And quite frankly, that debate isn't heavily watched. And you don't know how much it would be anyway. So this is what you're left with. Now, I know uh, Jeff Wagner and I have had this conversation. I still think the MU Law School poll is a reliable poll. I know the new car shine is off it for Jeff. He doesn't consider it the gold standard. I don't think Jeff thinks there is a gold standard uh, for polls anymore. Uh, I know uh, after the September 18th poll came out, uh, and I won't name names, I'll just say a Wisconsin conservative talk show host, called it fake news. Just it wasn't real. It wasn't real because it showed a growing gap between Evers and Walker and Baldwin and uh, Vukmir. Well, what do you... Can you call this one fake? 
By the way, I still, I mean, their methodology hasn't changed. I still think they are still the most reliable poll in Wisconsin, and I think they're pretty good. But I have to admit, I have no idea what to make of this. Because you have Walker overtaking Evers, you have a stagnant U.S. Senate race. It just hasn't moved. One point means nothing. That race hasn't moved. And you have a tightening attorney general race with a majority, uh, I'm sorry, it is majority Democratic. 43% Republican, 47% Democratic, 9% Independent. But they do statistical ways to try to balance that out. So I don't know. We have a couple of texts on this uh, that I want to share with you. Uh, On the Senate race, it comes down to wanting to keep the executive branch in check. Well, that's that's interesting. Because I mentioned earlier, there are at least some liberals in the state that think Democrats should just completely turn this into a referendum on Kavanaugh slash Trump. And remember Brett Kavanaugh, or maybe more appropriately, remember Merrick Garland, or remember Dr. Ford, I don't know whatever inspiration the left wanted to gain from that, there may be something to say for that. Someone else asks if the poll was taken before or after the debate. Um, Yeah, I I just, I, I don't think that that's a major factor. I think what you have to look at here is, is the Kavanaugh factor present? I, I just, I don't know how to measure that. Because when you look at the state races... They're split. Walker is up a bit. Well, I shouldn't say that. Walker now leads by a bit, but that he's really turned that around. Schimmel's race has tightened. And then you've got just nothing. Nothing moving in uh, the Senate race. Another text. By the way, if you if, if you do have any reaction to this, uh, you can call the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's see, another text. What doesn't make sense is hypothetically whomever votes for Walker will also vote for Vukmir. Same for Baldwin Evers. Shouldn't the numbers match? Why don't the numbers match? Okay, because, and this has been discussed, and that's a great question. It's called ticket splitting. That there are, in fact, people, and this is what makes, it's, this is what makes the numbers fascinating. Because there are those who say that it's possible that Tammy Baldwin could win and Scott Walker could win. In fact, almost from the beginning, it was believed that's how Walker was going to have to win by winning on the same day as Tammy Baldwin. Why, so why does that happen? Because there are people who will vote for Scott Walker who, in fact, will not vote for Leah Buchmer, hard as that seems to believe. But the argument has been that if you had a 10- or 11-point race, there is no way, you know, in the Senate race, that Walker could overcome that, that he would have to have so much 
ticket splitting going on, that that didn't make sense. This poll would say, yeah, that could happen. That, in fact, could happen. Senator Baldwin has a 10-point lead. Governor Walker, if he's tied, it's a one-point lead. I, I think these numbers are just, they are mind-boggling. And I've always had a lot of faith in the Marquette University Law School poll. I hadn't gone sour on it the way Jeff has. Uh, but I have to admit, boy, this, this does raise an eyebrow. If you have any thoughts on it, you can call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620-1243, News Radio WTMJ. Hurricane Michael slams into the Florida panhandle. It is the strongest hurricane of the 2018 season. And John McCure takes you into the middle of it, live on the Gulf Coast at 434 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. The easy thing to do here is dismiss polls. And maybe that's what you think about the latest MU Law School poll. It shows Governor Walker has jumped over Tony Evers by a point. He trailed last month. No movement in the Senate race. No considerable movement. It was 11 points for Baldwin last month. It's 10 points now. And a tightening of the Attorney General race, but Brad Schimmel still leading. To Ron in Manitowoc. Ron, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Um, I don't. Yep. I personally don't believe any of the polls. I look back at the history of polls, and I see the election results in the last election, and I think that the polls are distorted. I truly believe that they're controlled by liberals, and I don't believe any of the polls. That's my personal feeling. Well, okay, but what part of this don't you believe? Because it's good news for Scott Walker and bad news for Leah Vukmir. But that'll change before November. Which way? Both ways, or what, what do you mean? Uh, I think negative towards the Republicans. Well, I don't know, because that's, now, that's what people said last time. It did, that was the case in September, that you saw a worsening, with the exception of Brad Schimmel, for, for Vukmir and Walker. Yeah, you know, the Marquette University Law School poll has gotten, look, everybody got it wrong in 2016. But I think historically, Ron, They've got a pretty good track record, but here's why I will agree with you. I can't really, you know, I get Ron's point, but I can't really, <sighs> this one boggles me. I still have more confidence. I, unlike a lot of conservatives, by the way, uh, when the not, the, not the September poll, but the poll before it came out, liberals were carping about that one that they didn't believe that poll. Here's what I can tell you. The, what it shows, the movement it shows in the governor's race is movement that I suspected based on things I was being told by people in the position to know internal numbers. Hey, it's tightening. And Walker's feeling pretty good. Now, that's what you see in this poll. I... I heard the same thing yesterday about Leah Vukmir. That they were optimistic, and that was not based on the debate. I mean, they feel she did very well in the debate, and she did. But just felt there was a a, a general feeling, and, and again, their internal work showed a two-point lead for Tammy Baldwin. So I don't want to sound like a partisan here, but if I'm suspicious of one number, I I just I find it really boggling that there wasn't movement one way or another. 
let's see. Uh, Benji in Milwaukee says he was polled this Saturday via 15-minute phone call, multiple questions regarding Kavanaugh confirmation and the Trump administration. It would be interesting to see those results along with the Senate candidates, which we will. I mean, this is you know this is them blasting it out on Twitter, and we'll get all of that. And I you know we may have it even uh, before the end of the show today. Let's see, uh, another texter, it's the constant barrage of pro-Baldwin anti-Vukmir ads on every TV station, and very few Vukmir ads have aired since the primary. Um, I can tell you in the Green Bay market that is somewhat true. I, I, there is definitely, you know, Baldwin's got money. The other thing, though, is the nature of her ads, there have been some attack ads, Mostly, they're feel-good ads. Uh, let's see, someone weighing in on the governor's race. Evers needs to get out there and sell himself. Too many lies about him and negatives going around. Edgerton Newspaper did an interview with him, and it's completely opposite of what many are saying about him. Well, yeah, he has uh, he has his version. I'm sure it's the teacher porn and all of that. Uh, I I did sense a tightening in that race. What I wouldn't do is dismiss the polls and just say they're not real, they're phony. Uh, Some are better than others. Some are more robust than others. There's no question about that. We're going to talk about different dynamics of the race coming up uh, in the next hour race, but actually I mean election, the November election. Uh, A lot of different facets. And some final thoughts for this hour in a couple of minutes. 1251 News Radio WTMJ. 1254, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Some other snapshots from the MU Law School poll. The electorate has become increasingly segmented by gender and education among white voters with longer standing differences by race. Uh, Evers received his strongest support from white female college grads and from non white and Hispanic voters. Walker does best with white male non college grads, has a smaller lead among white males with a college degree. Large shift in independent votes. In the September poll, Evers was leading by 20 points among independents. That has shrunk considerably. Baldwin does best with white female college grads, also holds a substantial advantage among non-college white females. White college males evenly divided. And Bukmir has a substantial advantage with non-college white males. Baldwin's significant lead with non-white and Hispanic voters. Uh, let's see. 54% of Wisconsin registered voters say the state is headed in the right direction. 40% think it's the wrong direction. 51% of registered voters say they would rather pay higher taxes and have state government provide more services. 42% say they prefer lower taxes and fewer services from the state. So higher taxes, more services. If that's the way it works out, that's what they would want. Uh, Voters say they would rather increase spending on public schools rather than reduce property property taxes. That's by a 20-point margin, 57 to 37%. So what do they think about the roads? 6% of registered voters say the roads where they live are in excellent condition. 30% say good condition. 34% say fair condition. And 30% say their roads are in poor condition. So you do the math there. Uh, 70% say excellent, good, or fair. 30% say poor. 
and the perception that those who challenge Scott Walker on that policy is that the roads are crumbling and most of the state residents feel that way. 61% say it's more important to keep gas taxes and vehicle registration fees where they are. 32% say it's more important to raise them. Ooh, two to one. Not to raise gas or registration fees, gas tax. 48% of registered voters think the state is paying more than the Foxconn plant is worth. 38% think the plant will provide at least as much value as the state is investing. That continues to have that best soft support. Here's an interesting number. Act 10. 42% say they would like to see collective bargaining return to what was law before Act 10. 43% say they want to keep Act 10 as it is now. So I, how do you read that? That's not a winner or loser for either Tony Evers or Scott Walker. Uh, Walker's job approval rating largely unchanged, I believe. 48%, 47%, approving and disapproving, respectively. Uh, and then the corrections, the prisons issue. Among all registered voters, 18% say Walker has done all he should to address prisoner abuse issues at Lincoln Hills and Copper Lake juvenile prisons. While 32% say he hasn't paid enough attention to the issue, however, 50% have not heard enough to have an opinion. Here's odd fascinating number. 26% say they liked Walker's run for president in 2015. 65% say they did not like his presidential bid. I have felt all along that left a mark with voters. Left and right, Democrat and Republican. There are those who believe he did, in fact, abandon the state during that period as the left criticized. We have different dynamics and all sorts of different stuff beyond politics to get to in the next couple of hours. It is 1259 News Radio, WTMJ. Howdy, Wisconsin. Hour two, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. I'm just I'm chuckling. Uh, George writes, you're pretty gullible if you believe those polls. And he spells polls, P-O-L-E-S. Hey, I believe Polish people as much as anyone. I don't discriminate. Oh, that's that's not what George meant? Oh, I see. Oh, polls! Polls! I get it. I get it. Um, I, it that's always the default answer. The polls are phony. Uh, just, come on. Polls are polls. They're not perfect. Which is why you can't put too much stock in one, but trends are interesting. And the trends in this poll are interesting. Just a, some final thoughts on this. Uh... There was a texter earlier that let us know that he had been surveyed for this. People, no one ever calls me, so he let us know that, in fact, he was called. And what's pretty interesting, he said they asked a lot of questions about Kavanaugh, the hearings, and so on. So I do want to share those numbers with you before we get on to something completely different. Uh, Questions about Kavanaugh, questions about uh, Christine Blasey Ford, questions about the hearings, so on. 38% had a favorable opinion of Kavanaugh, 41% had an unfavorable view, 20% were not able to give a rating. I don't know. They couldn't say. So he was slightly underwater, 41-38. 
with a huge swath, in my opinion. 20%, I don't know. In September, he had 29-29, favorable, unfavorable, 41, unable to give a rating. Dr. Ford, after about a week after the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford, 35% have a favorable opinion of her. 35% have an unfavorable view. 29% did not give a rating. So, as you can see, Wisconsin is deeply conflicted, according to the MU Law School poll. Here's another number that I find interesting about this, is how dialed in people were. I want you to think about this. Just, just think about this for a second. Before I give you the number, what percentage of the of Wisconsin people, I shouldn't say that, what percentage of people responding to the MU Law School poll say they watch the hearings live? I did, but quite honestly, it was professional reasons. I watched a lot of it. I did not watch all, what was it, nine hours? But I watched probably six or seven, and maybe even a little more than that. In your head, what percent watched at least some of the hearings live. I thought this was high. 37%. More than a third of people responding to this poll watched at least some of the hearings. 27% say they had uh, followed closely but not watched the hearing live. 25% saw some news coverage but didn't follow closely. 10% I didn't pay any attention to that stuff. So I guess the way that I would interpret that is uh, quite a few people were dialed into watching it, the way that I look at it. And as you can imagine, there's a massive gender disparity between how Wisconsinites feel about Dr. Ford and Justice Kavanaugh. Not surprising. And then there is the Mueller investigation. 31% of Wisconsinites, according to the MU Law School poll, have a great deal of confidence that the Mueller investigation will be fair and impartial, while 26% say they have no confidence at all. 19% have some confidence, and 13% have only a little confidence in the fairness of the investigation. So, you add that up, 31% great deal, 19% some, or a little, And all of that is a lot more than the 26% that say no confidence. One more, the Affordable Care Act. 50% say they would like to see the Affordable Care Act, also called Obamacare, remain. 44% would like the act repealed. This just has the feel of an issue. Here's what I'll say. I mean, this is just gut. This has the feel of an issue on which Democrats are winning. Obamacare certainly has a lot of problems, but the world didn't end. It wasn't catastrophic, cataclysmic, at least to this point, the way Republicans said it was going to be. I mean, we've been impacted by what's happened in the insurance market in our family. But in terms of the end times, which is kind of the way Republicans pushed it out there, That hasn't happened. So what you might be seeing here is, all right, look, it certainly has problems. We we just don't want to go through this again. That might be the thinking there.
78% say the requirement of the ACA that pre-existing condition requirement be covered by insurance companies is very important to them, which is why Republicans have to make the case that they understand that. And Leah Vukmir has been fighting this in the Senate race. And I really wonder how big of a factor that is in the Senate race. And uh, basically... This is a a big issue for Democrats, which is what people saw. All right. We are going to actually spend a lot of time tomorrow. We are going to have a guest dissect these numbers for us. Uh, A lot in there, and it will be interesting to see some of the numbers behind the numbers. Let's go in a completely different direction in a couple of minutes. Is Netflix addiction a thing? 114 News Radio WTMJ. 117 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff. All right. I used to be a binge watcher. Big time. I just don't watch a lot of TV anymore, quite frankly. Uh, a major change in life a couple of years ago, and I just, I, I'm pretty selective. I just love a lot of other things consuming my time. But check this out. I mean, I, did, I, I binge-watched Mad Men to catch up, Dexter, and I just don't watch those kind of shows anymore. But uh, all of that stuff. Netflix knows it has a grip on viewers. The average subscriber streamed 50 minutes of Netflix a day last year, according to a CNBC report. CEO Reed Hastings admits... He wants to keep you watching. You know, think about it, he says. When you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night, Hastings said in an earnings call last year. You really were competing with sleep on the margin. Now, a Netflix super user in India who watched more than seven hours a day. Can you imagine? By the way, I know people who log a lot of binge-watching. The unidentified man checked into the National Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences in Bangalore, India, last week after using Netflix to escape the reality of his unemployment for six months, according to the newspaper. Manoj Sharma, clinical psychologist at the Institute's Service for Healthy Use of Technology, SHUT for short, told the Hindu, that's the name of the paper, that the man turned to Netflix to escape pressures from family to find a job, forgetting his problems and deriving immense pleasure from it. Well, you could replace Netflix with alcohol, with narcotics, with porn, with anything else that people get addicted to, to escape pressures from family to find a job, forgetting his problems and deriving immense pleasure from it. Shut launched in 2014 as India's first clinic dedicated to treating technology addiction and also conducts skills and awareness workshops around technology addiction. The man's binging began first thing in the morning, leading to eye strain, fatigue, and disturbed sleep, the newspaper reported. Treating his condition will involve five-minute breathing exercises every hour to relieve stress, along with therapy and career counseling. Now, Netflix addiction isn't in the DSM-5 psychiatry so-called Bible of Mental Disorders, 
and controversy surrounds the idea of similar screen-related addictions. The WHO did classify video game addiction as a mental health disorder in June, and a whole lot of people are like, are you kidding me? Come on. Well, whether or not it's an actual clinical psychological disorder, uh, the person they spoke with says, hey, it's a problem. While addiction among the younger generation, aged 8 and 14 years, continues to be centered on gaming, apps such as Netflix are more for the adults who find emotional gratification in streaming content as they are under constant stress. And then they had links on the original story from Gannett on how you can determine whether you're addicted or not. I just, in every instance when someone is incapable of exercising self-control, does that mean they are addicted to something? I just, I think the word addiction is powerful. And we, I, I know this, binge-watching, I, I think, in my opinion, is I'm not saying it's the biggest one or even a big one, but it is a growing societal problem. I'm not saying it should be I'm not saying there should be safeguards put in place. I think individuals have to make their own decisions on these things, whether it's eating too much food, eating you know whatever, watching too much television. I understand alcohol is seen as a disease, alcoholism. I I understand how devastating it is, and I have unfortunately known my share, more than my share of one too many, is a thousand not enough alcoholics. But being a couch potato is nothing new. There's a technology now where you can be a much more, I don't know, potato-y couch potato? Uh, just a much more of a slug, I guess. I... I walked away cold turkey, because, and my wife used to complain about it. You're watching another episode? You're watching another episode? You know what? She was right. Now, for me, it was shows that, older shows that I was catching up on, that other people had already talked about. And I, I mean, we use Netflix now more for movies, faith-based movies. It's just... I, uh, I just, I think it's hard to put call something an addiction. We're going to have, coming up in the next half hour, there's big news today about Rod Rosenstein. Remember Rod Rosenstein was accused of trying to basically foment a rebellion against President Trump, that he was going to wear a wire while listening to the president, and that he talked about invoking the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump. He denied it, he denied it, he denied it. There's a story out today that's saying, no, it's real. And it comes on the heels of the president saying, well, I'm not going to fire Rod Rosenstein. And... Congress will be talking to Rod Rosenstein tomorrow. 
After the news, we are going to be talking to someone who leads a Republican group that feels Rosenstein and Mueller need to be protected. It will be interesting to see if they still feel that way after the news that's out there today. We'll be getting to that in the next half hour. 124 News Radio 620 WTMJ. 126 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jack Wagner. So this was this was a big story right as the Kavanaugh thing exploded that Rod Rosenstein was going to be fired. And he was going to meet with the president, and he was about to resign because he was going to be fired, and on and on. And then all of that was parked because of the Kavanaugh hearings and the controversy and all of that. What happened at, that precipitated all of that was a report that Rosenstein suggested to Andrew McCabe that Rosenstein would wear a wire in conversations with President Trump to gather evidence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the president. He denied it. He adamantly denied it. The Washington Post has reporting, uh, last night it posted, saying, no, it happened. Soon after, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein suggested using a wiretap to record the president, then-acting FBI Director Andrew McCabe went to the Bureau's top lawyer seeking advice on what he had just heard. Rosenstein, McCabe told the lawyer, wanted to furtively record the president to explore whether Trump had obstructed justice. How, McCabe asked, should the FBI respond to the outlandish proposition? That lawyer, James Baker, said no, dismissed the idea according to people familiar with the episode who described it to the Washington Post. What the story goes on to say is that this was serious, and there are several people who kept notes who said, yes, Rosenstein was serious about this. He tried to write it off as a joke, that he was being sarcastic. What do you want, Andy? Do you want me to wear a wire? Do you want me to wear a wire? According to the reporting of the Washington Post, this is real. That Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein did, in fact, propose this. Now, there is an organization of Republicans out there called Republicans for the Rule of Law who have as their goal protecting Mueller and Rosenstein. They just believe that it's critical that the president not fire them and that the integrity of the investigation be upheld. We are going to talk with that person, Chris Truax, coming up after the news. And I, I have interviewed Chris on this previously in other venues, or other venue for a podcast. Going to be very curious to see if he still feels that way. If he still thinks that, look, no matter what, can't fire Rosenstein, can't fire Mueller. And there has been those, there have been, I should say, those in Congress, Republicans, who have wanted to impeach Rosenstein, but for the most part, congressional Republicans, not, not, let this play out, let this play out. I mean, it was one thing when this seemed unconfirmed. The Washington Post reporting is pretty robust, and that, yeah, look, this, this raised alarms. Okay, Rod wants to go in there wearing a wire and trying to get enough evidence to suggest obstruction or invoke the 25th or whatever. 
We'll talk with Chris Truax of that group. See if these if this Republican group still is in defense mode after all of this. As the crew marches toward the World Series, John Mercure takes a deeper look at Hall of Fame voice of the Brewers, Bob Euchre, the Hollywood years. That's at 520 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So it's a story that's getting tucked away a little bit today, but the Washington Post uh, has a story that uh, Andrew McCabe, then acting FBI director, actually went to the Bureau's top lawyer, seeking advice on Rod Rosenstein saying he wanted to wear a wire in talking with President Trump, that this really did happen. Uh, The uh, lawyer dismissed the idea, according to people familiar with the episode who described it to the Washington Post on the condition of anonymity. But importantly, Baker told congressional investigators last week that the Deputy Attorney General's suggestion was presented to him by senior FBI officials as being serious, raising questions about Rosenstein's assertions to the contrary, the people said. Now, there is an organization out there that feels it is vital to protect Mueller and Rosenstein, calling theirs a profile's encouraged moment in American history. The organization is Republicans for the Rule of Law, on the legal advisory board of that group is Chris Truax, who joins us now on the phone. Chris, good to talk to you again. Good afternoon, Jerry. When last we spoke, you made the case why it was so important to protect these two men. If what we're hearing from the Washington Post is accurately reported, is that still the case in your mind? Well, I think it is very definitely the case. And I read that story as well this morning. And... Remember, this is all being sourced from Andrew McCabe. This is still, this, Baker is reporting what Andrew McCabe told him. And I think one of the problems we have in the modern world is this sort of 15-minute news cycle. We need to really slow down, find out what happened, take it a little more slowly, do some investigation and see what's going on. But as far as I know, it was sarcasm. Uh, apparently, the actual comment that was made to Andrew McCabe, and this was actually confirmed by people who were at the meeting, which Mr. Baker was not, what Rod Rosenstein said was, sarcastically, well, what do you want me to do, Andy? Wear a wire? Uh, it, we also have to keep in mind that this was the day before Rod Rosenstein appointed uh, Mueller as special counsel. And... I think we're all aware that Andrew McCabe was not exactly uh, President Trump's flavor of the month. By appointing that special counsel, one of the things Rod Rosenstein did was remove this investigation from the supervision of Andrew McCabe. So the idea that somehow Rod Rosenstein is, is, is being independent, working against President Trump, and working for President Trump all at the same time... That just doesn't square up with the facts as we know them. At the end of the story, there's at the end of the day, there's going to be one integrated story about what actually happened. And certainly, with Rod Rosenstein's history, he deserves every possible benefit of the doubt. It's this is not something we should really rush to to decide. Well, I, and I get that. However, uh, and Congress will be talking. Members of Congress will be talking to Rod Rosenstein. We do have to know, though, right, Chris, if, in fact, someone in Rosenstein's position was proposing something like this. Right? I, mean, I think at this point, the American public needs to know definitively whether it was true or false. Do they not? 
I, I think that certainly that's something that should be looked at. That's something that we should try to determine. Whether we can ever know definitively exactly what happened, I, I, we may well have a he said, he said sort of situation here. Um, one of the problems is these things, comments get made in private, and one person perceives them one way and someone takes them another way, and it's very difficult to sort out after the fact what was actually meant. And I would think President Trump would, himself would be very forgiving of comments that were made in private that may have been taken the wrong way. So we really do need to, to figure out what happened. But I also, I mean, one thing we have concern of is that that Rod Rosenstein is, he was the chief assistant for Attorney General Sessions, and one of his jobs is to advise Attorney General Sessions. And I am in no way saying that President Trump should be uh, recorded by his subordinates or anything like right. that. But... One of the one of his constitutional jobs is to advise Attorney Sessions about what he thinks about President Trump, and now we're getting into a political issue about you know what exactly should be done. But I don't think that we should rush to judgment and decide based on one news report that somehow Rod Rosenstein's incredibly stellar history as the longest serving U.S. attorney in the country who was appointed by President Bush, served under Obama, and confirmed 94 to 6 by the Senate in his current position, that one story is somehow going to eradicate all that. We really need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Talking with Chris Truax uh, of Republicans with the Rule of Law in a piece for Gannett last month, an opinion piece, uh, protect Mueller's Russia investigation, you wrote. It's not just about Trump or even mostly about Trump. It's about a very well-documented attack on our democracy. Flesh that out. What do you mean by that? Well, the, the, we tend to forget that the real point of the Mueller investigation is not really to investigate whether Donald Trump's campaign had somehow colluded with the Russians. It's really to investigate how Russia interfered with the 2016 election. And Mueller has done stellar work there. I mean, he's indicted 25 different Russians by name for either interfering in the election or hacking the Democratic Party, various email servers. So he's actually done, you know, and he's not done yet. But so far, he's produced very real, very solid results. And if, you know, I have to say that if President Trump would stop talking about collusion and wish hunts, you wouldn't even know that somehow Donald Trump's campaign might be implicated in this mess. Because Mueller has been running a very tight ship, and he's been doing a very good job, and he should be allowed to finish that job. Talking with Chris Truax. So I assume that you were heartened by what the president said this week, that, look, I have no intentions of firing uh, Rod Rosenstein. I, I, I absolutely was. And, you know, when President Trump is wrong, I'm the first one to stand up and say he's wrong. But when he's right, I'm happy to say that he's right. And that was absolutely the correct decision. Rod Rosenstein is a straight-down-the-middle kind of guy. And he's, he's really dedicated to an apolitical Department of Justice and the rule of law. And that's exactly the kind of people that we need in his position. So good for you know President Trump. He gets a point from me for that, absolutely. 
So here's where I'm stuck on this, because I mean, I, in principle, I, I'm a conservative who agrees with you on this, Chris, that I've, I've said all along I wanted Republicans to do more to protect the investigation, Rosenstein and Mueller. But I, I, I'm telling you, I, if someone in that high level did do this, and I'm not saying he didn't either, but I think it's a really big deal that, that possibly this happened. And if if Rod Rosenstein did this, someday he should speak publicly and say why he felt it was necessary. But I, to me, it seems like it's a pretty big shadow over the government, but you don't seem to be there yet. I, I'm not there yet simply because we've, we've seen these stories sort of evaporate before. Um, and I come back to the fact that Andrew McCabe is the source for all of this. Um, he's... Now we're talking about what Andrew McCabe told uh, uh, another attorney, the, the attorney for the FBI. And remember that Andrew McCabe and Rod Rosenstein do not get along. They have been at they were at loggerheads pretty much throughout this entire period. So, you know, two weeks ago we had this report from Andrew McCabe's memos that he had reported uh, that that Rosenstein had suggested wearing a wire while he talked to Trump, and that caused a big big kerfluffle and you know rod rosenstein went to the white house etc etc and now two weeks later we have somebody that andrew mccabe talked to saying yeah andrew mccabe talked to me about this so it's really the same story just version two of the same story and it's not any more i'm not any more convinced by the fact that andrew mccabe told somebody something than by the fact that he wrote it down so and people at the meeting as i said say that the exact comment was well, what do you want me to do, Andy? Wear a wire? And if that was the case, that's clear sarcasm. And that was, in fact, he was actually pushing back against McCabe and protecting the president, if that was the actual comment. So I'm not there yet. I agree we need to see what exactly happened. President Trump seems to be okay. Uh, he had a, a long talk with, uh, with Rosenstein, I think it was yesterday, day before yesterday. And he seems to be okay with it. And... So, sure, Congress can investigate if it likes, but we shouldn't really be rushing to condemn Rod Rosenstein at this point because he has done a stellar job under extremely trying conditions. Chris Trex of Republicans for the Rule of Law, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jerry. I always look forward to it. All right. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to have more to say about this, and I'm going to want your thoughts. I, I do not see eye-to-eye with Chris on this one, and I think it's a bigger deal than he does. We'll see what you think. 145 News Radio WTMJ. Every Brewers story, in depth game coverage, podcast, ticket links, galleries. Find everything Brewers on their hunt for the first World Series title on your mobile device. Text Brewers to 414 799 1620 for the latest on the crew. It is 150. Uh, yeah, we are going to talk. I've got a text. We'll talk about what's going on in the stock markets. We, in fact, are going to do that after 2 o'clock and talk about a lot of the issues of the day uh, with Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. But, yeah, definitely, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, the Dow down anywhere between 400, uh, 450-ish. And it's interesting. It's when good news is bad news is what's going on with the stock market. We'll get to that after 2 o'clock. This isn't old news. This is actually new news about old news. The Washington Post is reporting that Rod Rosenstein wasn't telling the truth when he said sarcastically 
that he would, wanted to wear a wire to talk to the president and to invoke the 25th Amendment. If this happened, this should be a freak-out moment. And it is interesting to me how nobody is freaking out about this. First you had an uh, anonymous, and then you had Woodward's book, or whichever order that came in. I forget. But, but they're all, all basically the same thing. That the president is unstable, and there are forces around him, and so on, so on, so on. If someone in a position of Rod Rosenstein actually did this, I, am, I had previously been with Chris Truax, that I think you needed to defend the investigation, needed to defend Rose, protect them, and protect Mueller. But I don't know that I'm there now. Again, his point is, well, we don't know if this really happened. I think it's extremely urgent that we find out if it happened. I'm not saying that President Trump should fire him. I'm saying this is, uh, okay, he's, now what Chris Truex is doing is just dismissing Andrew McCabe. Ah, this is all according to him, and someone else at the meeting said it was sarcastic. But this apparently got buzzied around. I, I think it's an, an eye-popping story. And we apparently have just gotten so used to the unexpected from the White House that nothing is surprising or, or makes us wonder anymore, or concerns us even. I've been as critical as any conservative of President Trump. But if this situation existed, and again, I say if, then Rod Rosenstein shouldn't be there. And I'm one who's railed against the silly efforts to try to impeach him and, and any talk of going after Mueller. Absolutely. But this, I think, is a stunning development, if true. American public needs to know whether this happened or not. And, and I just, if you have any thoughts on this, uh, you can let us know at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. 156 News Radio WTMJ. This is uh, just amazing. Sam writes, Jerry, the Democrats and the media specialize on keeping our eyes on the wrong ball. Not sure exactly what they mean by that, but I th- we have reached a period in time where <sighs> nothing shocks anymore. The Washington Post has a story today that says Rod Rosenstein wasn't joking. He wanted to wear a wire, and he wanted to use that wire to, one, apparently, get the president talking about obstruction, and two, illustrate that he should be removed under the, uh, it's not the competency clause, but the uh, ability to hold office clause of the 20, capacity of the 25th Amendment. I, I, this, uh, this is shocking. And what's shocking me is nobody else seems to be shocked by this. This is a big deal. Paraphrasing President, Vice President Biden for a family-friendly show. This is a big deal. And it's, it's, you know, things, it seems like the hits come out of Washington so fast and furious that nobody, 
no, I should say nothing. Nothing shocks, sticks, or, or just amazes anymore. So let me put a bow on it with this. If Rod Rosenstein did this, the American public needs to know. And I think right now the American public needs to know if someone at the highest echelons of the government really wanted to do this and why. Why would Rosenstein think this was critical to do if he did? And again, I'm not, I, I do agree with Chris Truex there. We don't know. But I, this is an amazing development because, quite frankly, I bought Rosenstein's initial denials. Ah, this, this, this didn't happen. And, okay, fine. Except now... I'm not so sure of that. I, just, I think the American public needs to find out what happened here, and we should be alarmed that we don't know. And Rod Rosenstein needs to say why. All right, coming up in the next hour, we will talk about what's happening on Wall Street today and why. And should Donald Trump campaign in Wisconsin for Governor Scott Walker? That's a great question. 159. News Radio WTMJ. 208, hour number three of Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Whole lot of stuff going on in the world. Most notably, at least at the moment, Wall Street and, of course, Hurricane. Nothing is most notably. Everything is most notable these days. And here to talk with us about the notable things in the news from hotair.com, on one of the premier conservative websites in America, and author and friend, Ed Morrissey. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing fantabulous. Um, our Milwaukee Brewers are just days away from the NLCS. I do take a respite from being a football fan, Ed, and enjoy a really good baseball team. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Uh, look, I mean, I haven't followed baseball in years, but the Dodgers are still my team, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of following it from a distance, uh, how they're doing ah. in the, in, in the uh, National League this year. Well, and of course they are facing the Brewers in the NLCS, so it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a great series. So let's start with the financial news. The last, let me just get the the very latest here. Uh, as we speak, the Dow is off five thirty eight forty five. It's down nine hundred points over the stretch. Well, really since. October began. Now, I heard a spin on this, Ed, and I want your take on this, that this is a case of good news being bad news, that rates are rising because the economy is so robust, 4 plus percent, so that's driving the Fed to the policy of raising rates, which makes investors nervous, and you get this. Is that your take on what's going on here? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's certainly reasonable. You know, these are, these are basically small corrections. You know, even in 900 points at the, at the level yeah. that the Dow's at right now, these are very small corrections. And so there's going to be, you're going to see this type of thing. I think part of this might be driven by, uh, the, the rumored bankruptcy of Sears. There's a lot of debt that's involved in that. Um, and I, I think that some of this might be some profit-taking after you know, what's been a pretty good summer. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into this, and I think that these, these are smallish corrections and probably are mostly just about um, individual, you know, just not really about policy, but just about how uh, investors are seeing the market right now in, in more like micro terms than macro terms. 
I think that's an excellent point, and you really do get numbed. You know what the Dow has been like, Ed? It's, you know, we've gotten so used to billions and trillions of dollars, we forget that millions of dollars is a lot of money. So when you are at, you know, at the moment the Dow's at 25,892.12, yeah, that's, you know, all of these still are somewhere in a 2% drop. I mean, there was, you know, you and I are old enough. My goodness, a 900-point drop would have been catastrophic. So perception here certainly, in, in fact, is driving that. But, yeah, to your point, you know, for, so people are going to freak out if this doesn't recover and they look at their, their next statement. you got to look at you were a couple of years, well, more than a couple of years ago. I just Life is, is still pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you know, this, this is the type of thing that's going to drive you nuts if you're a spot trader or a day trader, right? But, I mean, if you're – Right. If, if most people have investment accounts that they don't manage the stock sales themselves, and they're, they're part of – they're invested in funds, and the fund managers are, are dealing with this. And it's a long – these are long-term investments for most Americans. And so the, uh, the ups and downs of a, of, a, of a day or a week really don't matter as long as you're not really changing your position. It only really matters if you're changing positions. And most of us don't do that. So we ride these things out. We're looking at the long term. The long term stocks are still a good bet. I mean, they're, they're, it's, they're, still, they're still a good investment. Talking with Ed Morrissey, other big news story of the week already. Nikki Haley out at the UN. I, I was flabbergasted, completely caught by surprise. What about you? Well, I was caught by surprise, but I mean, I was caught by surprise by the fact that it was announced. Um, I, but. She's been on the job for almost two years. By the time she actually leaves, it'll be pretty close to two years. And that's not an unusual time for U.N. ambassadors to move on to something else. I mean, we've had some that stayed longer. We've had some that didn't stay quite as long. But two years is about the average range, I guess, or you know, within the average range of most U.N. ambassadors. It's a high-pressure, high-profile job. It's a 24-7 job. And after a while, that kind of wears on you. It's like anything else in an um, in a, in a, in a administration high-ranking administration position, it, it, unless you really are uh, built for that type of thing, being an adrenaline junkie, you're going to get worn out eventually. And I think Haley's making the smart decision here to to leave while she's when she senses that so that she can go off and do something else for a little bit and come back to public service on her own terms. And I think that that's a fairly smart move. What I was really surprised by, about, though, was the manner in which she left because – I, mean, yeah. I don't think I don't think you're going to disagree with me on this. There haven't been a whole lot of moments of grace when people leave this administration. <laughs> right. And yet yesterday, I mean, Donald Trump brought the media into the Oval Office so that he could praise Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was praising Donald Trump. Clearly, there wasn't an issue between them. He wants her back when she's ready to come back. Uh, and, and I think it was I think it just was sort of a singular moment of. Well, this looks like it is what they are saying it is. She just wants to go do something else, and he's sorry that she's leaving. And and I, I thought that that was a remarkable moment. All right, we uh, we uh, have to uh, do some business here, but I want you to ponder the question of successor, if you would, in the next two minutes. And I want to share some poll results out of Wisconsin uh, with you, so you can hang another segment, right, Ed? I am absolutely. All right. All right, we'll get to you in just a bit. 214 News Radio WTMJ. 217 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner talking with Ed Morrissey of hotair.com. So, Ed, just to wrap up on the uh, UN ambassador, Nikki Haley, calling it quits. T- tell me, Ivanka, that's a red herring, right? He's not, that's not serious, is it? Is no, it a successor? 
Of course not. You know, this is the point I was making yesterday uh, when I was talking about it on my show. In order to get Ivanka confirmed to this position, she'd have to appear before a Senate committee, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I believe, at which point every Senate Democrat on there is going to demand to talk about the family finances and the the tax returns and everything else. And and, and there would be some legitimate reason to do that if you're going to put somebody in as a... um, as a as America, one of America's top diplomats, I mean that type of stuff might make sense. You want to know what connections there might be uh, to to other foreign entities. There is no way that Donald Trump is going to put his daughter in a position where she's going to have to start answering those questions. It just won't happen. Now, so then, any thoughts on a on a more likely successor? I think they're talking about Dina Powell, and it makes sense. Dina Powell is yeah. somebody who has Donald Trump's confidence. He, she's a um, she uh, has a long track record in Washington. Uh, she's uh, both in terms of uh, conservatives to some extent and, and, and to the more establishment side of the party. I think that uh, you know, she'd be somebody who would continue the same policies that uh, Nikki Haley was pursuing at the U.N. because those are Donald Trump's policies. So I, whether she'd be as effective as, as Nikki Haley, yeah, I don't know if you're going to ever find anybody who was as Nikki Haley was in that role, but I think Dina Powell would make a would make a fine choice to replace her. I'm sure you saw the CNN poll that showed the huge enthusiasm gap again. Now we had a poll released here in Wisconsin, the MU Law School poll. I still think is the gold standard. The guy I'm sitting in for, Jeff Wagner, doesn't. He's gone sour on it, and others have. Uh, so very interesting, and it shows. Scott Walker has taken the lead against Tony Evers. He trailed last month. It's a, it's a tie, 47-46. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, in the U.S. Senate race last month, the Democratic incumbent, Tammy Baldwin, had an 11-point lead. I was really curious to see what was going to happen with all things going on with the Senate, with Kavanaugh. She still has a 10-point lead. No, Virtually no movement in the U.S. Senate race and Walker overtakes Evers in the uh, governor's race. I find that fascinating. Well, I think Walker is, yeah, first off, Walker's an incumbent, so he's got some, you know, he, he has a track record. Right. He's got eight years in there. He's won, you know, three elections, I guess, so far, <laughs> yeah, you know, to, as, as governor, if you count the recount election in there as well. And, uh, and I think there's a comfort level there that you're not going to get from an, um, from a challenger to a Democratic incumbent who is, I think, I, I, I've been following the polls a little bit. I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's been a whole lot of negative uh, sentiment towards uh, Baldwin that, I, that I'm aware of, right? I mean, there's not somebody who's been dramatically upside down, Tammy Baldwin, um, in, in polling at any point. I mean, Walker was for a little bit. He seems to be recovering from right. that. Um, so, yeah, I'm not necessarily sure, too, that Wisconsin voters were, you know, I don't know how engaged they were with the with the Kavanaugh um, appointment. I, I didn't see Ron Johnson taking a big leadership role. Of course, he wasn't on the Judiciary Committee. I mean, that's, that's right. part of that. So I, I'm not sure how much that got play in Wisconsin, how much the... As opposed to places where the where the votes were critical, like West Virginia with Mansion and Maine with Susan Collins and yeah. Arizona with Jeff Flake, so I, I'm not necessarily sure that that Kavanaugh impact is going to have as much play in Wisconsin. But I'm not surprised to see Scott Walker coming back um, and and taking the lead there either. 
the poll shows that 36% watched at least some of the hearings. Overall, it was it was a little more engaged than I would have thought because of the reasons you said, that there wasn't that, that direct involvement. The CNN poll that shows a huge gap, again, enthusiasm gap. I, I do believe, Ed, that the Republican base got energized over the debate, but what I've said is the glow of victory will fade faster than the, the burning sting of defeat, and I thought whoever lost the nomination battle would gain politically. What's your take? No, no, no. I, th- I think that, that I think that we're beyond that. I think what happened ah. during I, I think what happened during those hearings really shook the scales from the eyes from people who were still um, unhappy over Trump winning, and and I think that you, you're seeing all sorts of people who were not part of the the Trump phenomenon. The, uh, not everybody, but. A lot of the people who proclaim themselves as never Trump are coming around and saying, look, I mean, this is this is uh, what we're up against here. And and this this um, character assassination on on a broad scale, uh, if you can do that to Brett Kavanaugh, who's an establishment guy, you know, Brett Kavanaugh was not a conservative radical. He was an establishment guy. He was a Bush guy. And uh, you know, if that can happen to to. to Brett Kavanaugh can happen to anybody, and I think that you're seeing a lot of people who are angry over that. I think you're uh, you're going to, and I think that that resonates more than victory or defeat in terms of whether or not Kavanaugh got on the thing. I think that that's a, I think that's a base amplifier for Republicans no matter what. Can we debate that in two minutes? Can you hang around? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to somewhat disagree, quite a bit disagree with you on that. In two minutes, it is 2.23 News Radio WTMJ. The crew is hunting for its first World Series title, and the latest Brewers interviews are right at your fingertips. Text the word PITCH to 414-799-1620 for a Hear Our First Pitch podcast, and don't forget to subscribe for the latest Brewers interviews on your mobile device. Talking with Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. Ed, here's what you said a few minutes ago I do agree with. Absolutely what happened is... That there was there was a coming together of the uh, of conservatives who have an issue with President Trump and uh, those who are are great with him. They both saw look, Democrats will still do whatever they have to in a in a bare knuckles way. I absolutely agree with that. But I have a friend who sees numbers I don't, and he said the president's problem is just this basic, or the problem for Republicans because of the president is women can't stand him. They despise him. When you look at the CNN numbers out today, that bears out. And if you're too far underwater with women, even the galvanization you're talking about, and I'm not denying it happened, I think it still falls short. Well, I think you still have the same issue of, you know, the, the Trump uh, disapproval overhang, and that, that, that hasn't gone away. But what I think you're seeing, though, is the people who were going to sit out the election because it just didn't, I mean, complacency is one reason why the governing party loses seats in midterms, right? Because they're happy. And happy people don't go, you know, stampeding off to the polls. But if they're unhappy about something, they do. And so you've seen this um, enthusiasm on the Democratic side uh, generating for months and months and months. I mean, they've been extremely unhappy, and they've been effective in using that to get people motivated to go out and vote. What you didn't see until two weeks ago was a reason for Republicans to um, have that sort of um, enthusiasm among their base. And so what I'm, I, I'm not saying that we're looking at a red wave, but what I am saying is I think you're going to look at very limited gains for Democrats, probably enough to take the House still. But I think, you're, I think they're going to lose ground in the Senate that they, might not have, that they might not have lost 
had they just let Brett Kavanaugh pass on a 52-48 vote uh, to the to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, just as a normal with a normal hearing process, I, I think that there that there is still a little bit of a, a sleeping giant that's been awoke in the last two weeks, and I don't think it's going to go to sleep in the next three. I, and I and I do think you're right about the Senate that that I think that dynamic has changed. All right, in the two minutes of the way I've left, I want your thoughts on this. I'm going to take it up after the news. So now Scott Walker, the incumbent, essentially tied with Tony Evers. I can tell you there's a raging internal debate among Republican strategists. The Pence is here in the state, uh, Vice President for Walker. There's debate over whether Trump should campaign here for him. Do you think that would be a good or bad idea? Boy, I tell you, it's, uh, you'd know better than me, Jerry, on this. I, do, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, he did win Wisconsin. He won Wisconsin because Hillary Clinton didn't turn out Democrats, but he did win Wisconsin, and he was effective um, in the general election, but not in the primary. So, yeah, I'm kind of torn on that. I think Pence is going to probably be more effective, and I think that Scott Walker isn't really a... I, I don't identify him as a MAGA guy. I mean, he probably, he probably talks that talk a little bit, you know, in order to... Um, address those issues, but I see him more as a guy who's trying to sell himself on competence and experience and temperament, and if that's the case, then Pence is the guy that you want around there. And you're seeing that today also uh, for uh, Leah Vukmir as well. Ed, always a pleasure to have you on. Let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jerry. Ed Morrissey, HotAir.com. All right, I am going to repose that question to you in about four minutes. So what the latest Marquette University Law School poll today showed is Governor Scott Walker has not only closed the gap, but has a statistically inconsequential lead over Tony Evers, 47 to 46. I am aware, and not people directly involved with the Walker campaign, and Walker has said publicly that he does expect to campaign with Scott, uh, with uh, President Trump. I will tell you there are people who think that's a great idea, People in the know, and people who think it's an awful idea. I want to see what you think. Would now that it's basically a tie, would that be a good idea or a bad idea for President Trump to come and campaign for and with Scott Walker? Hurricane Michael slams into the Florida Panhandle. It is the strongest hurricane, and that's saying a lot, of the 2018 season. John Mercury takes you into the middle of it, live on the Gulf Coast at 4:34 of Wisconsin's afternoon news. Interesting text about the the who is more excited after the Kavanaugh brouhaha. We'll get to the Governor Walker question in a second. I'll tell you that in my little corner of the world, the texter texts, the conservatives, independent or otherwise, are talking about voting in the midterms. That has never been the case before. Gender or race makes no difference. I, I do. I, I definitely think the conservative base has been energized. Disagree a little bit with Ed Morrissey on the staying power between now and Election Day. I think anger does last longer, and, and we'll see. I think both bases are energized. The question at hand, though, and we will take your thoughts, at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. In the latest MU Law School poll today, Governor Walker has taken a one-point lead, 47-46, over Tony Evers. I am aware that there's a lot of debate in Republican circles about whether President Trump should campaign in Wisconsin for Scott Walker. Would it help? Would it hurt? I'm going to be completely honest. I can be convinced. I can be persuaded by callers on this one. 
I don't know. I can make, I think, compelling arguments either way. I can see where it would help. I can see where it would hurt. It might just come out as a push. Don't know. To Josh in Waukesha. Josh, how are you on WTMJ? Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, so I support President Trump fully. Um, I may not support some of the things he says, but overall policy-wise, I support Trump. But I think it would actually hurt Governor Walker to uh, have President Trump campaign for him just because of the more left-leaning people in the bigger cities like Madison and Milwaukee who don't support Trump at all. And I feel like it would hurt his campaign if uh, President Trump were to endorse him. I perfectly accept that. I mean, that, that makes sense. But if you take what Ed Morrissey said, and that there's been a galvanizing because of what happened with Kavanaugh, then would that conservative base be excited by a Trump visit? I think it's possible, but I also think that Vice President Pence may have a stronger headway in Wisconsin versus President Trump. Thanks a lot for the call, Josh. And and Ed Morrissey mentioned that. I, I think Mike Pence is just a better fit in terms of campaigning. He certainly carries the chops of the vice presidency, and he does. He is that former Midwestern governor. So that may, in fact, make a lot of sense. Would like to hear what you think on the. Uh, AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, to Dan in Waukesha. Dan, go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I do not think that President Trump needs to come. I don't know that he would add a whole lot to the mix. I'm a big Trump supporter. love what he's done nationally. I think state politics maybe are a little bit different. And um, I think Governor Walker is a strong enough candidate on his own two feet. And couple that with the fact that I think Tony Evers is a very weak candidate on his own two feet. I just think that uh, Mike Pence might have a little bit of better demeanor with the race here in Wisconsin. Um, and when you look at the Marquette University polls that have come out with the, his first election, the recall election, and subsequent, um, they always seem to have... Governor Walker losing, 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 and then as it approaches, oh, all of a sudden he wins, 52 to 48. I think the same thing is going to happen this time around. Well, and the one out today actually has him up by a point. Right, so, and maybe it's breaking him up a point a little bit earlier than they traditionally have have shown in the past. I think that poll is a little skewed towards liberals. So um, I'm pretty confident I, I, in, in Governor Walker's race this time around. Dan, thanks a lot for the call. You know, he didn't know if he needs it, but he didn't. The question is, I guess, multiple questions. Does he need it, and would it help or hurt? I, I don't know. I, I I am just taking opinions here to Tom in Sheboygan. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I agree with both callers, um, and I guess my stance on it is that I think that Mike Pence is more of a neutral person as far as uh, taking opinion or sides of whether he likes the man or knows the man, where Trump, I think, if he's offended or doesn't like the direction it's going, he would say, I never met the man, don't know the man. <laughs> that kind of stance. And then the other problem is is the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, when uh, Trump uh, Trump doesn't necessarily, I, in my opinion, from what I've seen and what I've heard, Trump's not really fond of the Scott Walker, um, Paul Ryan uh, 
connection, and, and I think Trump would choose not to even come here, not even to do it. I think Mike Pence is more forced that if he doesn't do it, nobody would do it. So. Hmm, interesting. Thanks a lot for the call. I, and then the question, and here's, I guess, maybe even a better question. What about Leah Vukmir? She is down still in the latest poll, although her internals show her closer. Does she need Donald Trump? Does she need anything at this point? Or do you not take the poll that seriously? Uh, to Nick in Janesville. Nick is going to break the streak here. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand the, the uh, confusion. I mean, God, just look at the look at the rallies he's been at the last couple of weeks. He, you know, he, he gets people fired up. You know, why wouldn't you want that here in Wisconsin, you know? I mean, God, that's, that's a no-brainer. Well, the concern is that it will energize the Democratic base. Yeah, but it also helps people come out that, you know, want to keep uh, some of the things out of Wisconsin that he and, and Scott Walker have done such a good job. you got to have a tough guy to, you know, tell the tell the people what what's what, you know. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Nick, thanks a lot for the call. Nick decidedly thinks it's a good idea. We'll take some more calls on this, and uh, if you are... Already in the queue, hang on. We will get to you in just a couple of minutes on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620-242, News Radio WTMJ. 246, News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff, and the question is, should Trump be in for Walker in Wisconsin, that is? Should he campaign for him? Uh, Most likely scenario that he would come in to try to bolster Leah Vukmir and then also campaign for Walker. Walker has said, well, I, I assume at some point that would happen. Is it a good idea or is it a good idea? I will tell you that in Republican strategic circles, it's being heavily debated. Some think it's a great idea, some think it's a rotten idea. I, I'm very conflicted. Roger and Cudahy, go ahead. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for taking my call, Wait. listening to your okay. show. And I agree with one of your more recent callers that you can't lose on bringing Donald Trump and him having... Uh, you know, a, uh, a gathering like he's done in the other states. I think, uh, I think the Democratic Party has abandoned the working man in a lot of cases, and, and I think it's, uh, it's, it would help firing up the, the working man, even a lot of the union workers, in terms of what he's bringing to the equation in our economy and for industry and employment. Uh, and in particular, I think it would help, uh, bolster Leah Roop there a little bit, who I think has a disadvantage of name recognition, and, uh, you know, would just help a long way if uh, he were here and, and uh, uh, brought Leah Roop there into the, into the uh, meeting or equation as well. That, and in fact, that's a great point, Roger. Thanks a lot for the call. And it is, President Trump's detachment from that race, and again, if you want to chime in on this, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. He didn't, that is, the president did not endorse in the Senate primary. Leah Vukmir won. Leah Vukmir clearly does need help. Is galvanizing, exciting in the conservative base what she needs, or does she need to appeal more to the middle? Uh, there are those who say that she's gone too far to the right in the primary, and that's why she's down 10, 11 points now, 10 points as of today's poll. You can never know for sure, and, and and we all understand that. But were he to come and campaign for her, then would it make sense for him to campaign for Governor Walker? 
I honestly don't know. I can, I can, I get both sides. Those callers who have said, uh, "Hey, look, no, it just, it, you know, I support the president, but I understand the polarizing. And I don't think it's a good idea." And those, well, how can you go wrong with bringing Donald Trump in? That's, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think, as as Ed Morrissey said earlier, and as Mike. You know, Mike Pence, and as other callers put it, Mike Pence is a good Walker fit. He is the vice president of the United States, but you've got that Midwestern, it just, it's probably the way to go. I have no idea whether it would help or hurt. My, my gut tells me it probably wouldn't make a lot of difference. That's what my gut tells me. Speaking of guts, there are probably a lot of tight guts. Uh, Just moments from the closing bell, let me refresh this one more time. Uh, The Dow's actually gained some back. It was down 750-ish just moments ago. It's now off 655 as we approach the closing bell. Uh, Rough day on Wall Street, but as we mentioned earlier, Percentage-wise, it's still, you know, uh, uh, even a 900-point drop over recent days isn't the kick that it used to be. It it just isn't. But, it's you know, the question is, how long will the bleeding go on? Because it's rising interest rates that have investors all worked up. But as as we discussed earlier... Given the current state of the market in the 25,000 range, it's just not enough or shouldn't really be enough to freak you out the way it used to be. We can take calls if anyone else wants one more swing on whether President Trump's campaign in Wisconsin for Leah Bukmir or Scott Walker. Uh, we can certainly do that for one four seven nine nine one six. 1620. Otherwise, some final thoughts coming up. 251 News Radio WTMJ. 253 Jerry and for Jeff. Yeah, I, uh, to uh, as in terms of President Trump coming to campaign, Luke in Milwaukee, go ahead. I think Donald Trump is a uh, definite creature of using the media to play both sides against each other. So um, I definitely think. He's going to lean towards Buchner to, uh, you know, help push the Republicans harder and uh, empower themselves, so to say. All right, Luke, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate that. I don't, again, I, now you've got two things going on there. You've got the Vukmir race, the Vukmir Baldwin race, and you've got the, the governor's race. I think, quite frankly... Uh, I just don't know. I think I think Leah Vukmir. I don't know what to make of that race. I I really believe there are indications it has tightened, but you're not seeing that in the latest MU Law School poll. On the other hand, uh, the Walker race, Walker Evers is right where I thought it was going to be. I did think the governor may ground there. Here's what I can tell you, and I was going to do this as a full blown topic, but that's not going to happen. What could really help Republicans if Democrats continue with the protests and uh, the teacher in Minnesota talking about killing Brett Kavanaugh in a tweet, I think it was, or some social media, that stuff, 
if they keep that up, that's probably the best weapon that Republicans have right now. And the president is stoking that, the angry mob mentality. And quite frankly, Democrats are playing into it. That, in fact, could have the some of the greatest impact. And you have, there's a, a, a Democrat in the Wall Street Journal today urging Democrats, knock it off, don't do that, don't overreact. Bobby Jindal had a column, the former Louisiana governor yesterday, um, Democrats, can't you show any self-restraint? That is, playing into that narrative is probably about the best club in, in the bag right now for Republicans, and it's not in their bag. It's, it is Democrats who could, you know, they are furious, they are angry, angry, and remember what really drove the whole Kavanaugh thing was they felt gypped on Merrick Garland. And yeah, I, I make the case that a president should be able to pick his, his Supreme Court justices. But that, that's where, from the, from the get-go, they went for the juggler. Remember, there was a group, and McConnell pointed this out, didn't even know who it was going to be, the nominee was going to be. They had this generic template, we oppose Supreme Court just, uh, nominee XXX. They forgot to update it with Kavanaugh's actual name. So, yeah, there is, there is that. And if you see that in Wisconsin, you see that kind of stuff, you know, the, the just the over-the-top stuff from Democrats, then I don't know what a Trump presence could do. I, my gut tells me, but, uh, you know, this is where I've been on Trump, <laughs> my gut tells me it would hurt. I don't know, though. I could be wrong about that. I absolutely could be wrong. And in a race that's now just too close to call, I don't know. Leah Vukmir is another matter. And if he comes for her, you would think, I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Speaking of finding out, it's 2.58. Let's find out what John Mercure has in Wisconsin's Afternoon News.